someone said to me, very wise, said to me one day, there were butterflies on the, the bushes right by Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And they said, if you look at it from the point of view of science, you will see the art of pollination happening in front of your eyes. If you look at it as someone just observing the beauty of life, you're gonna see the art of pollination. But if you look at it through the eyes of life itself, if you look at it through the eyes of the Most High, that's what the word that they used was, from the Most High, you will be the art of pollination. Just go and pollinate. And when they said that, it, it felt like my heart was whew, like that. I don't even know if I truly understand what it means. But I do know that I understood between the words. Mm. And that's why I feel as I get older, I'm more curious about what's going on between the words than the actual words themselves. Welcome back, friends. Today we learn a lot about and from Paolo Propato. Paolo is a gifted acupuncturist at Bridge Acupuncture in Dolstown. He is also a fantastic storyteller, as you will see, um, and he definitely attributes that to his Italian immigrant upbringing. goes into that quite a bit. His wisdom definitely comes from his experiences in childhood, from his many uncles and extended family. He's so obviously intuitive as well. I remember he references how he met his wife. Um, and this cave he keeps coming back to, his willingness to explore the unknown is extremely paramount. Uh, you'll also hear some su a surprising cameo, if you will, from uh, Tom Cockley, who joined us somewhat unexpectedly and it was really nice. And you'll hear him a little bit in there too. We are very happy to share this powerful and inspiring conversation with you. Enjoy. We'll start. I'll introduce myself if you want. Oh, yeah. Hi, yeah. Paolo. Because Colin knows me, but you do not, mm -hmm. do not, right? In fact, I was calling her Dana before, not Diana. So we'll start from there. So I'm Paolo. I grew up in, in uh, not directly in town. I grew up in Warminster. Um, my family's from Italy, but I was born here. Everyone thinks I'm from Italy, but I'm not. I lived there in my early 20s. Um, that's it. I went to school. I became an acupuncturist, and I've been working for Grace. Actually, I started as Grace's assistant, and that's kind of how it, it, it progressed. So, what's it called? Uh, Bridge Acupuncture. <laughs> Thanks for the shout out. In Doylestown. In Doylestown. Near the near the near the core offices. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you uh, well, you sound like you're fresh. Don't yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, I thought about that a lot because people say that you have an accent. And I think you it's... You do. I know. I think it's... <laughs> but, you know, if you go to Italy, I sound like I have an accent to them. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think it's... Um, in a lot of ways, I feel like it was great because what I found is when you have an accent... I don't know if you ever felt like this. I but don't have what, an accent. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But when you have an accent, I what feel like you, people talk to you differently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? And they very treat slowly, you differently. like you yeah, can't understand slowly, anything. Yeah, right? And... and and uh, sometimes I feel like people, and when I was young, that actually caused me a lot of anger because I, you know, I grew up landscaping, cutting grass and stuff with my dad and watching the way people would speak to my father, I felt like 
they're talking to him as, as if there's something wrong with him, like as if he's um, dumb. Mm. And when I was young, they, I, I, that brought me a lot of anger. And, and sometimes I was very disrespectful to customers or uh, clients because I, I felt like they were disrespectful to my father and my dad would get like super angry um, at me. But then it, it was good. I felt like even just in that, like there was a lot of uh, teachable moments because after a while you start to feel like, yeah, who cares? You know, like it's so interesting that, you know, especially when I was Grace's assistant, um, because, you know, people are going to be speaking with grace about acupuncture. And then I would go in there and I would be doing moxibustion, where it's, it's like mm-hmm. you're burning a type of herb on points. So when I would go in there, you would think people would be like, oh, what are you doing? What's this technique? Uh, tell me a little bit about acupuncture. Everyone wanted to talk about Italy with me. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> and it would drive me like insane. I'm like, wow, this is so interesting. You're laying on the table. I'm burning like herb on you and you want to talk about like your trip to Milan and this and that so I I heard in Florence they all meet at the top of a hill (laughs) they do only when there's bad weather and and yeah I thought I always thought that was very interesting you know um that people talk to you talk uh the way they talk when you're from somewhere else and I, I also feel the opposite my wife is from Iran and when people ask me where is your wife from if I say oh my wife is Persian they all say the same thing. She must be beautiful. But, <laughs> but if I say, oh, she's, she's Iranian, a lot of times it just stops right there. Unless they have Iranian friends, and then they're like, oh, I love the cuisine. I love, and, you know, and they talk about it and this and that. But a lot of times it just stopped the huh. uh, conversation. And, mm. and what I liked is, you know, but growing up like that, I always identified as I'm an Italian because I didn't really have a lot of friends. My friends were my family. Like, I have a big family. So... I identified as I'm an Italian guy well, you, in America. Mm-hmm. But then when I moved to Italy, when I moved there, I was in my 20s, early 20s. You know, um, George Bush invaded Iraq. So people would come up to me when they found out that I was an American. And like people would start fights with me. Like, go home, go kill your president. Like they would tell me all this crazy stuff, like yelling, as if like I put the guy in office or something, you know? And it was there, like it started to break down. Like, I'm not Italian either. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just just some guy you know like and and I and I love that like I I I felt good that I didn't feel like I need to hold on to this um sense of pride and nationality like I really don't care I I love America I love Italy I love there's a a lot of aspects but I really don't care about it you know and and I know there's a lot of Italians out there but what is he saying what do you you can't be like that (laughs) what's the truth I don't care I can relate to that so much almost like a hundred percent I went to Uruguay for the last time in 2012, mm-hmm. and I've been already here for eight years, um, just about, and I didn't feel Uruguayan anymore. And I was mm. like, oh shit, <laughs> now yeah. what, right? Because I never felt American, I was never born here, right? Yeah. obviously. Um, and I have an accent, so people don't treat me like an Amer- Amer- American, ever. But my, my compatriotas, you know, my people, didn't treat me like I was Uruguayan either. You know, because I look different and I, I changed my mindset and my pace was different and I had something about my, the way I m- moved, I guess, that was not the chill vibe that I used to have. So I don't know what it is, but I felt like I didn't belong there anymore. And a lot of times I don't feel like I belong here either, yeah. especially on the East Coast, because the East Coast feels so rushed. So I think I'm from California now. I don't know if that helps. 
uh, you know, I just chose chose another part of the states to identify myself with, like so, some parts of California where the the geography is similar to my country and the vibe of the people is similar and there's that weather and people have a tendency to look at the ocean more and connect to the water, which I miss a lot. But I know it's not true. It's just my own, you know, yeah. story that I, I pretend that, oh, I'm from there then. But it's in reality not belonging anywhere. And then becoming that, that nothingness in identity, which I think it's better. I yeah, like I it better. So. I, I mean, just in my own experience, I, I feel when you become that, that nothingness, like I, I'm not identifying really with any of it. It's like then you can be all of it. You know, I remember, you know, my teacher was talking about the beauty of a dark room. Like right now, I look around the room. I know there's the table here. The lamp is there, the fire extinguisher. But if I walked in here and the lights were turned off, anything can be in here. Like any possibility opens up. Mm -hmm. So I feel like by not identifying with anything, I, I'm allowed to be anything I really want. If I want to be Italian, I can be Italian. And I can turn that on when I hang out with my cousins. I'm not going to act and talk and have the same conversations that I have with my cousins that I'm having with you guys, mm -hmm. you know? And then, you know, it changes. If I go to Italy and I'm hanging out with my friends, the conversations, they become different. You kind of just like, and I know when I'm saying that, it almost sounds like um, I'm just like molding myself for the situation. Yeah, I guess I am. Mm -hmm. You know, what's wrong with that? I'm, yeah, not, I'm, not, I'm not losing points. my yeah. I'm not losing my essence. I'm mm -hmm. not being false about who I am. I'm just in right now. I'm hanging out with people and we're talking about whatever spaghetti. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll use the stereotypes, <laughs> you know. And then and then I'll, and then I'll hang out and I'll talk about the Fourth of July in Doors Down. Like you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. yeah. What's wrong with that? I can enjoy both of them without identifying with any of them. Mm -hmm. You know. So I have a question for you. Yes. So if you're not Italian. Why are you are you using your hands? Well, my what, what yeah. are you talking about? So, <laughs> my spirit might not be a, uh, identifying as Italian, but my body can't help what it is, right? My body is just this makeup of all this. Um, just the same way, you know, she's from Uruguay, she's gonna be a certain way, and then you'll see after you're here for multiple years, you'll see even that'll change. And in fact, you already did because your people back home in Uruguay mm -hmm. already picked up on it. And you probably can't even see it. Right. Right. And I, I saw that. I saw when I was living in Italy for a certain amount of time, I even saw my sense of humor changed because in Tuscany, they have a, a certain type of humor that's very um, within themselves. And they'll make fun of like, you know, the people in one town, they make fun of the people in Pisa and this and that, where before it, it didn't make sense to me. Like, who cares about the people in Pisa? <laughs> but they've had these ongoing jokes. Who knows how far they go back mm -hmm. that they make fun of people in Pisa. And then you open your eyes to it. Like you can go to London and someone writes Pisa Merda on the wall somewhere in, in London. And you know, like, oh, there's some guy from Lavorno that wrote that. And it cracks you up, mm -hmm. you know? And it, it's funny. And you start to become, you know, you kind of mold yourself into that. And then I start to find I was dressing differently too. I dressed much more European than I do now. I don't even know if I was aware of it. It's not like I went to the store and like, oh, I'm gonna mm -hmm. try to dress like them and look like them. No, it's just you're around it. It's, I think it's what it is, you know? And it's happening everywhere, right? Like I, when we were kids and we would go visit family in Italy, you knew you were in Italy just from the way they were dressing. 
now when when you go, I feel like that that um, and maybe it's because like film. I don't know. I'm just like you know assuming that just from film and everything else, I feel like everyone looks American to me, mm. just a little bit tighter. <laughs> the jeans and stuff, that's the truth. But like the, the clothes and stuff, it all seems like everyone's wearing the same type of stuff. And there might be something that's a little bit more in style in this place or a little bit more in style in that place. But it pretty much all looks the same. But when I was a kid, like in the 80s, you went to Italy, you knew you were in Italy just from, you know, the way they were dressed, the music they were listening to. Now you go over there, they're listening to the same thing that's on mm -hmm. the radio here, you know, the younger generation. Everybody looks at me when we pause. It always happens that way. Go, okay. Does it? Oh, well, that's my I feel like you're... That's my story. <laughs> Joe's Italian. Joe, what are you, 75%, right? Yeah. yeah. Found out I was 75% Italian. I always thought it was like 50 Oh, really? Or something. So you're 75? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what is you your... You found out because of the ice. Because right? <laughs> yeah. of the accent. Your accent tells you, gives you away. Really? <laughs> mm -hmm. Interesting, because like... I think she's kidding. I'm kidding. Oh my god. <laughs> I have a total Doylestown accent now. Doylestown. <laughs> Born and raised. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was your experience growing up? Yeah, uh, it's interesting because, yeah, the family was very big and we all grew up around each other and it's mm -hmm. a very male dominated family. Yeah, like, there's a lot same. of guy cousins. All and here in Bucks County. Or yeah, most of them are. Yeah, they're all here. You know, I have like some in Toronto and Australia, stuff like that. But for the most part, like my dad has uh, five brothers. Like everybody's here and all the kids are well, here. Well, when did they come over? That's so funny. My um, dad early 70s. Okay, so that makes you first generation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh. All of your cousins. Are, you're all yeah, I think a few of the older ones were born in Italy. Um, yeah, so it was great because you. there's something beautiful about like... Uh, not having such a huge sense of self because you were a part of a whole. Sure. Right? And, and I, I feel like that, that's beautiful and I feel like in that's modern cool culture, paradise. I feel mm -hmm. like at least in, in, at least in the culture, I feel like that I'm living in now. I, I can't speak for everywhere else. I, I almost feel like it's missing and it's something that I, oh, something going back to the town that I love about Doylestown. I love that you go to Doylestown and you have the barista. Here's the barista, here's this guy, here's this, mm -hmm. the guy that has the restaurant. The, and yeah. everyone plays their role and I feel like that's important. You know, I, 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 I love that. My, my wife, as a, she's a family therapist and she talks about that, like, we don't have all these roles anymore. We don't have the village idiot or the village mm -hmm. uh, prostitute or the village, all these things. And so then we look for all these things in our, in, in our partner. Like, our partner has to be our drinking buddy, has to be our, you know. Right. And I, I mean, obviously, I'm not trying to go off and uh, on the, I go on tangents a lot. So I think what was beautiful of being in a big family is you're, you're a part of a whole, right? And... And I think there was something uh, very beautiful about it. I never thought, you know, going over my aunt's house and thought like I had to ask permission, like, oh, do you mind mm -hmm. if I get something yes. to eat? It's like you go there, your aunt already probably made you something mm -hmm. to eat, yep. or you just go in the fridge and you get something to eat. And still to this day, when I talk about my uncles, or I, I was never aware of it until like maybe two years ago, I always refer to them as my dads. Right. And I think, how lucky am I that, that I have a family that, I feel so loved that I can say I have multiple dads and multiple mm -hmm. moms. And so I think that's, that's, there's, you know, that's an upside to it. The downside is there is no sense of self. 
right? And, and, and or, or that sense of self can be criticized uh-huh. right away. So because like, <laughs> That's I, was, what I, was implying. I, I was always very into, um, you know, mysticism. You know, for me, it started out with like Christian mysticism and things of that nature. And I would come home with like books and, you know, and my dad would be like, what, what are you, you doing? Yeah, what are you reading? <laughs> exactly. What are you reading? What's this? You know, and, and stuff like that. And, but I was very, very lucky because I had my cousin Pino that was always like that. And my cousin Pino was the guy like, when we were kids, depressed, sitting on the the top of the shed on the roof, looking up at the stars, you know? Uh, So having him, and he was always into this other stuff too. Actually, I always felt like he was always two steps ahead. Older than you? Yeah, he's like uh, two years. Well, who planted the seed for that? Christian mysticism is pretty specific. Um, I that... think, you know, I, I don't know. Now that I'm older and I try to look back on it with an, intel- like with a, um, um, an intelligent mind, view. yeah, I, I feel like ever since I was young, and, you know, we look at movies, right? You have Iron Man and all these archetypes of the hero and this and that. I, I was never attracted to the, the archetype of the hero. I was, always, uh, um, I was always attracted to the archetype of the saint. You know, or like Lord of the Rings, I liked Gandalf. I like, you know, I, I always liked that character. I wanted to know that character that I felt like he knew something about the universe mm-hmm. that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I needed to know that mystery. I, I needed to know that mystery like so much. And, and I always, yeah, I, and I know it got me in a lot of trouble growing up because if someone said that cave, the devil's in that cave. I, I gotta, gotta go. I gotta out. go check it out, <laughs> right? And I know I might not make it out alive, but it would bother me so bad that I have to go check. But if you said a million dollars was in that cave, I'm not going in there. You know, I, I didn't have that same lust and uh, for it, but I did have that lust for. I, I wanted to know God, right? And and reading people like Saint Francis of Assisi, mm-hmm. especially Saint Francis of Assisi, for me as a young kid was like to me he was my hero, like because. Uh, he, uh, he came off as like this regular guy. He, you know, it wasn't like he, you know, was born with like a beard. Like you see that in Italy, like these pictures sure. of like Jesus was born already with a beard. Like guys, <laughs> like, he was just this normal guy, you know, kind of like a middle life family. You know what I mean? Just started, and this conversion happened, and 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 I felt like that's why he's so relatable to so many mm-hmm. people. And well, he was a soldier who specifically had a what they perceived as this Nate as incredible nervous breakdown. Yeah. Then he eventually just found, this is oversimplifying it, found himself, so to speak, or God in nature. And apparently just started communing regularly, barefoot out naked in the yeah. woods and eventually had a posse and became yeah. a thing. And, 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 you know, and if we <laughs> look at it, and that's and why I find it, what I find interesting about him, because there's different books and like you could say that same thing, right? Like he was this guy, he was a prisoner and then um you know something happened probably had like some type of mental break so from our point of view like okay he probably got like ptsd then he had this and then this and that so he probably needed some help and but because we didn't have all these this terminology back then life was allowed to take its course and and it went the way it went you know it was allowed you said yeah. Well, yeah, it was yeah. allowed because what Instead are they going to do about to it? Fix it or control. Yeah, exactly, and and it kind of like life in, was able to unfold, you know. So mm-hmm. when I look at it, like if I look at it through the the eyes of a, even an acupuncturist, a clinician, of like, okay, something's going on with this guy's like spear, Shen, you know, um, something's going on probably with his like, uh, you know, nervous system. Like, let's look work on his vagus nerve. You know, we could get all like anatomical and all that. Like, try to. Uh, look at it in a clinical way 
But then I, we can also look at it in the eyes of a religious thing and be like, oh, this guy, you know, he saw something and you know, get all into the theology of it. And it's something I sp speak about regularly in my meditation class is, but what if we look at it from the eyes of just life? And it just was what it was. Like, why do we have to intellectualize all of it. I, I don't, in the end, I don't know what was going through the guy's mind, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm just glad that he did what he did. And I know when I read about him, there's a spark in my, like even just talking about him will make me tear up. You hit it, because that's literally the thing that's one of the main things. You are tearing up, it's beautiful. Yeah. That's actually one of the key themes. I, I don't know if you know, I studied religion back in college and mm -hmm. the mystic component was the key thing. And the gift of tears is one of those fundamental unifying themes yeah the gift of tears is yeah i cry very easily and and i remember i always thought like of course growing up you you know being italian this and that you feel mm -hmm. like a loser like oh, you yeah. cry mm -hmm. then one day i met through one of my patients i had a book of anthony DeMello, mm -hmm. and um, anthony yeah he's fantastic and a patient came in and she goes oh anthony DeMello," and i never heard of anyone that heard of anthony DeMello. so i said you know Father DeMello? And she says, yeah, uh, Sister Barb from the comment by your house um, turned me on to him. So I went to meet her because I needed to know who's this nun that knows Anthony DeMello, mm. right? And we became friends. And she used to run a little um, meditation group out of there. Uh, they meet up every Tuesday. And she's not there anymore, but there's a, a lovely woman, Mary, that still uh, has it. And it's great. They just get together. It's beautiful. But uh, we would get together and we became friends. And one day we met up. Where did we meet up? Perkins. And, uh, yep. yeah, and it was the first and only time I ever went to Perkins. So we went, we went to Perkins. Oh, 313? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I've never been to Perkins. Yeah. You should go. Want to go? Let's go to Perkins. We should have the rent out such Perkins. a mystical, like, classical, yeah, mystical yeah. thing to do, like meet at Denny's. Or yeah. Applebee's. I know. So we went there and we were talking. As we were talking and we started getting into this type of stuff, I started tearing up and she says wow how beautiful the gift of tears mm. oh, wow you're so lucky and i left there confused mm. like what because it kind of like it went into conflict with the story i made out made up in my mind about something as simple as crying mm -hmm. and now like i just like whatever i'll be in rooms with patients i'll start crying or i'll be anyway i just don't care but and and actually just the, 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 the action of that happening is very moving for people because mm. i think it's because we it's like we shy away from that emotion or, or something. Yeah. Well, we were, we were in training the other day, and there's a demonstration. Can you imagine you're in training, your teacher is showing something on somebody else, and I could connect to, to it in some way. I don't even know. what mm -hmm. I was tearing just by watching Cheryl and David that mm -hmm. oh, they're in right. the chair. Yeah. Yeah. Because when there's something, there's a quality of um, it's pure. When something is pure and it just touches you, it's like um, like a breeze or something. I don't know. It just yeah. shifts something. It could be fast. That doesn't need to be long, but it uh, moves something in you. Moves you. That's what yeah. it feels. Moved. I don't know if it's a gift. Yeah. Because I've been called. Oh, you're a crier. Ah, oh, you're a and, crier. And, and sometimes like, I don't know if this is you have the same experience. Sometimes I feel like it comes from within. Yes. But sometimes it doesn't. Mm. Like I remember again going back to that cousin Pino. He lives in Vancouver now, but uh, he's, you would love this guy. So when we would walk around, and my dad has like a nursery. So I used to have two goats, and I would just walk around them and contemplate whatever life. So one day we were walking, and we were just talking, 
And then, you know, you know when you're talking and the conversation just kind of dries up and you're just walking in silence. We were walking in silence and I promise you, it was like a breeze. And when it came, it was just like, we just stopped. I remember just stopping and it was like something just moved inside of me yeah. where that same feeling came. You just mm -hmm. felt like, and then I looked at him with tears in my eyes, like, did you feel that? And he had the same thing. He's like, what was that? Mm -hmm. And I don't know. And, well, and, I, and I don't want to try to intellectualize it because like, just let it be what it was. And, mm -hmm. it, and it was something that, I don't know what it was. I, I, all I know is it was something real that we both experienced. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's that connectivity. You're, you said, and by the way, I'm also very drawn to St. Francis and he's one of the few saints that I really, really love. Because I have my own He's my confirmation name. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Is that what <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there's something that he's in, in my children love him, and there's something very appealing to to mo to many people about him. So he's he he got down to the core of something that we can relate a lot of us to him. Yeah, um, that interconnectivity that he may have found in nature and with animals and with her his feet on the soil, right? Yeah. There's the female Catherine of Siena. Was he was she the one with him? No, Claire. Claire. Oh, that's it, because it's like Sister that. Moon Brother. Whatever, there's this movie about both of them. It's pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, you should watch the one with Mickey Rourke. I, it's like, it's, oh. Oh, as St. Francis? Yeah. Okay. If you, actually, you can go on YouTube. Sometimes they take it off, and sometimes it'll be there again. Yeah, and the reason I know that is because I was trying to show my brother, and I was like, just look it up. And then we found it, and then it was gone, and then it came back. It's called Francesco. It's kind of like, yeah. it's kind of cheese, but um, I think Mickey Rourke does a great job as... As a saint. And I like it because like there's some scenes where like his tattoos are exposed, like I they should. don't cover it up or not. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I went to high school with Mickey Rook. Did you really? <laughs> that should be the name of your memoir. <laughs> well, the other one's good too. It's like Sister Moon, Brother Sun or something like yeah. that. But nobody, Alec Guinness I think is in it for like five minutes. Maybe. But in that one, like don't they, they if I remember, is that the black and white one? No, it's color, but is it's it? super cheesy. It's almost like a musical, but it, oh. it's fun. And they though. make him out to be like very hippie-ish or something, right? I remember. Well, there was he's one, like the it? original hippie. Yeah, <laughs> he is the original. He's is like, he? Well, as far as our one of some of our history books go, I mean, maybe, well, arguably, he's one of the founding. I yeah. think he was one of the founders of hippiedom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. It's interesting. Your daughters like him so much. I haven't exposed mm -hmm. Griffin to too much directly in that respect. Just the look of him. The that, look, that's the yeah. thing. Just the, there's mm -hmm. something about him in his robe. He's almost always shown barefoot animals, animals and yeah. something. There's so much approachable. Yeah. And he's not like standing on a pedestal with the, the, the <laughs> halo and you know like looking like somebody completely out of reach. Well, he looks happy as opposed to like potentially he dead. He looks grounded yeah. and right human and like you yeah. and I. Yeah. 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 And he was like sick. You know, he almost like, didn't he go blind at like 40, 42 or something. Probably. I mean, Who he was with like lepers right? and stuff all the time. So. Oh, right. It's risky, probably. Yeah. Even if you're a saint. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta have Francis. So the saint, St. Francis I, on the podcast, man. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> imagine. Do your kids pay any attention to this? No, you know, interestingly... Wait, that, kids or kid? Kid. You, uh, yeah, one son. son. Yeah. Yeah, Isa, he, he's interesting, man, because he... he um, I don't know if it's because he's just growing up, you know... I don't. I don't practice Catholic. Like, it's weird. I don't know what I am. I don't. I don't really care. I'm. I'm Catholic. I'm Muslim as well because mm -hmm. you know when I married my wife, I became Muslim so I can go to Iran. So. Um, I thought we established you're just nothing. 
Yeah, I am. That's what I mean. I'm all things and nothing. So, um, so yeah, I, I haven't exposed my son to like, like you know, I brought him to churches. I live right by the church over here. What's it called? Um, Guadalupe. Guadalupe. And we'll walk there and we'll light candles and stuff like that. And I'll tell him stories. But he, he seems like he's much more wrapped up in it. Like he's always asking about like uh, God. He has this thing about God that he's always asking about. Like the other day he was saying- That's um, good. Yeah, it is good. He has a, a, he questions everything. And he was saying like, my, uh, he asked my wife the other day, why didn't God make him free? And mommy said, why aren't you free? He goes, well, if God really wanted me to be free, he would have given me wings. And, like, and he's always talking about things like that all the time. Like, and I'm not trying to make my son sound like he's a super, but he talks constantly about this st stuff. Like he's always, and I really, I don't talk about it all that much. Like he sees me like practice at home. Like I have my little place where I meditate and this and that. And sometimes he'll just sit by me or like he'll grab like Palo Santo and like basically burn the house down while I'm meditating. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Um, you can be proud of your son, by the way. Huh? I think it's fair. To no, have I, I know. I, I just don't want to come off as the guy that's like, oh, my son's the best. And I'm, I, you know, but yeah, I am proud of my son. Next, well, St. Isa, I'm telling you, 20 years from now, <laughs> yeah. going to be canon. Yeah. I don't know, the man. Next Saint's Francis, a tough life. Second coming of Frank. Yeah. No, I, I do think that he's, um, yeah, he questions it a lot. And it's nice because um, he goes to a friend's school, so they're very open, and I like that. And the one kid, he said to what happened the other day? He was saying to his friend, his friend said that God isn't real. And I, I thought it was interesting when he was telling me this because, um, you know, they're, all, they're like five years old. You know, and he was having this like debate with his friend. His friend is saying, God's not real. Um, and Issa was saying, well, if he made everything, how could he not be real? And they, they started having this debate and he was telling me about it. And I just thought that was um, interesting. You know, and, and actually it was interesting and it also made me feel happy for my son because I would never have anyone to have these conversations with, you know, when mm -hmm. I was a kid, except for Pino, you know, because um, like, who am I going to talk about this Let's with? Let's bring Pino for a podcast. Oh, you, really you can. Yeah, it's true. Oh, he, yeah, he's you great. You got to fly him in from Canada. Yeah, you got to fly him in. Well, no, we can do remote conversations. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Good no, point. but seriously, my kids are similarly, my girls are similarly interested in, in God and in the universe and, and in the nature of things. They mm -hmm. ask, they, they come with these questions themselves, yeah. I think. And it's also because we question things and we learn, I learn also from everything. So they see us. I, I believe that kids don't do what you tell them to do, but they do what they see you doing. Yeah, I believe so that too. That's from pre-birth, right? It's just like the way your way, your, your wife's, your beautiful Persian wife's way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, th this is like the, what they breathe yeah. and feed. Uh, we feed them this. Yeah, I made it a point um, early on is that I always take him into nature. Yeah. And I, one thing I feel that he sees is that um, he always sees, he sees me being all of nature. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, he has this respect for nature because he sees like something so silly as I mean I'm saying silly but something so the other day like in the water it was going down to the creek like a little waterfall and in there like the way the plant was moving it like, made like kind of like the Kodu symbol uh -huh. like that it was like that and I was looking I'm like wow I'm like papa look at this and it was so and he sees like I'm not making it up like yeah, yeah. I, I, I genuinely find joy in, in mm -hmm. 
he, I find joy in it. So then I think he finds uh, joy in it as well. And he feels like nature is a place where you can be free. Like there's mm -hmm. no rules, you know, everything is, you might get hurt, but that's on him, yeah. you know? And it, it gives you this freedom to explore life. And I feel like when you can explore life, um, that's when you can get in touch with, I don't know, reality, I guess. Yeah. Do you ever climb trees together? Um, no, usually if he climbs the tree, I stay down just to catch him. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. I met him. He's, he said he's only five? Yeah, he's five. Eh, he's almost six. Keep him in the relatively small ones for now. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's well, how Yeah, we weren't climbing the big ones at five. But I didn't mind. He can probably, though. Isa. Yeah, he can. I think he's getting at that age where he's starting to feel fear. Mm -hmm. Like before, he would just like climb, even at the rock gym. Before he would just go up, mm -hmm. and now he's at that that I don't know where it's coming from, but like he'll go up a little bit, and I'm like, I'm not gonna go up anymore. Mm. Like he he's feel, seeing these limits, and and I'm wondering why. Like, yeah. you know, at my girls' school, they have this. They, they let them go anywhere in the woods and and climb, only if they can climb down by themselves. Mm. So they can only climb trees that they can down climb, they, which I think is right. a great yeah, that's a good idea. Re regulator. Mm -hmm. So the older kids go higher and the younger kids just stay in the lower limbs yeah. and they just hang like monkeys and so fun to climb together. Yeah, it's great. Monkey out together. That's awesome. Yeah. That's one of the best parts about burpee, by the way. Thank God those trees didn't get damaged. I know. Yeah, some mm -hmm. of the best ones to climb at that age are right there. Yeah. Those uh, crab apple, or no, they're, um, I guess they are crab apple trees. Yeah. Those are some of the easiest ones for that age. Yeah, it's the great. Yeah. It's awesome. And you don't have to get in there because it's just like reaching. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes there's and like... And then he graduates to the big one. Yeah. It's like a ladder. Oh, well, on the way from my house to the, the park, there's uh, these sycamore trees. Those I think they're hard. sycamore, right? No, they are. He, he's not climbing. Oh, okay. but, but, you know, some yeah, of the big fall. branches are, are a little <laughs> lower, right? They'll probably be like six feet. So I'll just um, hold them up there and he'll grab on and then I'll walk away from them. And he'll be like... You know, like scared, just hanging there. Like, Come get me! But yeah, it's cool, man. Hanzo Park is a nice park if you ever go with your kid. Right up Guadalupe, down where. Uh, uh, yeah, and then going around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a nice park. That's right where my parents are. Is it? Mm. Yeah. What have you? Uh, sorry, I have a question re related to your biography. Since we're talking a little bit about your, your coming into be being this too. nothingness you are right now. How, what got you interested in acupuncture? Um, well, I, I guess going back to what we were talking about uh, before, like I was always interested into these other things, you know? So I guess already you're gonna start looking into things that are, are less conventional. Um, so I, I always had uh, sinus issues growing up, really bad. And, you know, working outside with my dad, I, w I used to smoke. So I had a lot of um, components that were not going in my favor with, with my sinuses. And then when I lived in Italy, in Florence, it's like a valley, right? So when did you go to Italy again? I was um, early 20s. Yeah, 23. I was there. And then, um, so when I was there, my sinuses were like horrible, like horrible. And plus, everybody smokes there. And you would be in these little bars that are so small and be filled with smoke that my nose, I would leave, my nose would be bleeding. It was horrible. And um, so, you know, I was doing everything that I knew to do, like eucalyptus things and, you know. And uh, I went to the doctor and he's like, yeah, we're going to have to do surgery. So I was scared to do the surgery because my uncle here had it done. 
and <laughs> he looked like he was in bad shape, you know, because they stick all that gauze off. Like, it, it was horrible. So I was scared to get it done. And then, um, you know, and at that time I was doing like martial arts and meditation, all this stuff. And then, you know, people would be like, you know, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? So I went to go do, um, I went to an acupuncturist and, uh, yeah, I, I still remember like when he did it, he did a, do you know what like a moxa mm-hmm. thing? So he was doing moxa around my sinuses like this. And I was like, what the hell? I can't breathe already. And he's like <laughs> sticking like smoke in my face. <laughs> but he said something, um, he said something that none of the conventional doctors said. And that was, you have so much mucus, uh, you're producing so much mucus, why? Why are you producing so much mucus that it can't pass your sinus cavity? And I said, I thought about it, I was like, yeah, that's true. Why? I, I think I was more interested in why that question has never come to me f- before. And because of that, I, I stuck it out with this guy and just changing my diet and doing stuff like that. And with him, little by little, I started to notice oh, I can breathe through my nose. And, but it took a little while, you know? And then from that, when I returned back to the States, I just incorporated it into my, um, you know, my healthcare. So when I was working, I had, you know, I was working in landscaping. I, um, if I hurt my back or whatever, I would go get acupuncture done. And I still, didn't, I never thought about doing it. Although growing up, I was always um, very, very interested in healers and, and any type of healing. I, I just always found it fascinated, like whether they were shamans to a surgeon. Like I just found the concepts of healing very, uh, it, it always pulled me. But I never, never in a million years would thought that I would be doing it, never. And then um, I was doing a meditation class out of a house in Doylestown, right by um, Central Park over there. And when people were sitting, they would be like, oh, my neck hurts when I sit too long or my back hurts. So I was thinking like, I wish I can help them in some way. And uh, so I thought like maybe when the winter comes and I'm slow with work, I'll just take a class, a massage class just for fun. So I ended up going to the Shiatsu school. Remember the Shiatsu school that used to be in town? I went there just to get information. So I was just sitting there waiting for them because they were talking. So I was just waiting for them to like call my name. And I'm just sitting down. And I grabbed a, a book. It, it was a, a Machiocha book. It ended up being actually one of my textbooks in my first year of uh, acupuncture school. And um, I opened it. I just started reading it. And literally, Dan, it's like one of those moments where it was like somebody said in my, vo- in my ear, like, that's what you're supposed to be doing. I closed the book, I got up, I started walking out, and the lady says, oh, no, don't leave, you know, we're, we're ready for you. And I just said, fuck it, I'm going to school for acupuncture. And I left. And in an Italian accent. And then, um, yeah, I left, I started calling different that schools. That rude, but and, uh, it wasn't very mystical. No, it wasn't mystical. But I didn't say, I, I said it in a very happy way. Like, yeah, uh, when, yeah, I, yeah. When, when I said it, I felt um, like I found something. Yeah. You know, like you, it's like you found like a pearl. That's what yeah. I felt like. So when mm-hmm. I said it, it was more like joyously. And actually, the way I said it, she, the lady must have remembered because she actually, I saw her later on, maybe two mm-hmm. years later, because I, I was in the program already. She said, hey, did you ever end up going to school for acupuncture? I said, yeah, I just started, whatever. So... Um, and it was great because I felt like up until that point, my whole life, I was just always searching and searching and searching. And then when that moment happened, I felt like everything started fall- falling into place mm-hmm. because I started calling schools to see about a program. 
Um, I ended up, I mean, one would have been the perfect choice because it's in Glenside. It's the only acupuncture school in Pennsylvania. It's not far, da, 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 da. But when I went to the Eastern school, it's up in Montclair. When I went up there, um, as soon as I walked in, I knew. And I didn't want it to be because it was far. But as soon as I walked in, I knew this was my school. I didn't even, I remember telling the lady at the office, I said, this is a school I want to go to. And that's it. I just stopped looking for schools. And then I didn't even know if I can get into the school. So that was a whole other thing. And then I was taking all these, like, um, you know, the prerequisites. Yeah. I was doing, the, mm -hmm. you know, the anatomy, physiology, and I loved it. I loved the, the anatomy and physiology so much that I was thinking, should I just get into conventional medicine? Um, because at that point, you're not even, you're not doing anything acupuncture at all, anything Chinese medicine. You're just focusing on all, all this Western um, type of knowledge. And it, it was enjoyable. Um, and it was great because the first class I did was chemistry class. And signing up for that class, I met my wife in line. And even that was another thing. Like when I, when I met Layla, when we were leaving, and I asked for her number, she said no. And she says, oh, just find me on Facebook. And I didn't have a Facebook. And like an idiot, I went home and I joined Facebook and friended her. But I had no friends at that point. So like I must have looked like a loser. But anyway, I did it. And I remember when I met her, um, my car was smashed up. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just felt like uh, I had these insecurities because I felt like I, I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. But I had this happiness that I was going in this new direction. So everything felt new, but you have nothing. You, you know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. And when I met her, I, I remember she kind of didn't give me the time of the day. But even there, I remember calling my sister. I said, I met a girl I think I'm going to marry. I knew right away. And it was just like the thing with the, when I was looking at the book that said, this is what mm -hmm. you're supposed to be doing. It was the same thing. I, I knew. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so I had to pursue it for a little while. And then, um, until she gave in. But um, yeah, and then I ended up going to school and I felt like everything worked perfectly because when I went to school, the teachers that I follow, um, and one that I mainly follow is Kiko Matsumoto. She, um, she doesn't teach at the, the school over here, but she, will, she does come to uh, the Eastern the, uh, school. And they have a program that's dedicated to her style of acupuncture. And what happened was when I got into school, I would just start calling every acupuncturist that I could and just be, and I also, I think that's also maybe from the son of immigrants inside of me. Like I felt like the way I learned things is being by someone's side and just watching and being with them, you know? And you know, like Papa would be like, get me the hammer and then you go get the hammer and then, you know? So I started calling people like, can I hang out at the office? I'll sweep the floors or whatever. And that's how I met Grace. And Grace was coming from Brooklyn. She was right by the Brooklyn Bridge. And that's why, hence Bridge Acupuncture. And I was working there and she said, uh, you know, I hanged out, she was always cool with me, but she, I think she felt bad because she's like, I don't really have much for you to do here. So I, I left and then um, later that winter, the final winter, um, her boyfriend called me to do snow plowing. And I said, yeah, I'll come. And then from there, we got in a conversation. He's like, hey, did you ever end up going to school for acupuncture? I said, yeah, I just got in the program and this and that. And it was a little bit later that she called me. She's like, hey, you know, business is starting to grow. Would you like to be my um, assistant? And it was like perfect timing because at that point, I started learning um, Kiko's style. So I was all day long, I was watching Grace. I was like by her side and then doing the moxa. So I was by her side watching it and then going to school to find out what she was doing. 
and it was it was this beautiful thing. So by the time I got into like my third year of acupuncture, um, I felt very um, I felt very comfortable, or at least strong in my technique. So when Kiko would come and watch us treat people in clinic, I, I didn't get hesitant. Like I, I never felt like oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I just would do it and step aside and let her watch, and she'd be like, okay. And I felt good because I felt like I was also given honor to Grace as like a teacher as well, mm -hmm. because like she never had to like um, correct me or anything like that. Like she's like, okay, he's got his basics down, you know. And I, and I felt like it all came together, you know? And then from there, my, my teacher that was teaching me Kiko style, which she became like a mother figure to me while I was in school, Shamei, then she, you know, we would always talk about um, things more along the lines of spiritual stuff because she was also my clinic um, supervisor. And then when we were slow or whatever, we would always have these conversations. And she said, I want you to listen to somebody. And then she gave me a CD of my other teacher, of Jeffrey Ewan. And I was driving home, and I put it in, and he was teaching a, um, it was a CD, oh, cultivate, Cultivating the Healer. It was about, like, the, you know, the, the practitioner's own cultivation. And just from listening to him, uh, the way he presented his material, it was, like, another one of those moments where, like, my heart just opened up. And I, I need to meet this guy. And from there, I just started following him as well. So now I, I follow her, and, like Kiko and, and Jeffrey. And, um, and I think to me, it's been the perfect marriage because she's great with like the, the, the body and, the, and understanding how to do meridian work and this and that. And I feel like he kind of brings it to, for me all together of why we're doing that. And, and also he brings it to a different plane of not just the body. He's also... I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to put into words, but I feel like I'm very, very blessed that those two teachers came into my life. You know? mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. that sounds like how I found the practice that I do right now. Yeah, that's yeah. great. It's great. I know exactly yeah. that feeling of walking into the Feldenkrais Institute and saying, oh yeah, here. <laughs> you know, And I just came to test the class and I lied on the floor and I'm like, yep. I'm gonna be here for the next four years. Yeah. I don't even know how I'm gonna work it, how I'm gonna pay for it. I'm just I know. And in 20, maybe 18 years ago, when um, when I first came across Feldenkrais, it was the same thing. Yeah. I had a class and like, yep, this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's Especially amazing, when you're right? a wanderer, right? Yeah. When you're a person that is always because that inner learner that is never satisfied with one thing, so you want to keep learning, and you learn something like, oh, okay, I got it, what's the next thing? And then was, when you find something that kind of lands on you, and you said, okay, I can keep learning forever, but this is a wealth of knowledge that is going to connect me to the whole in a way that is infinite, and I, yeah, yeah, no it's doubt. Amazing. It's amazing. And I, I wonder if you look back on your life, would you see that it was there all along? What, what, from child yeah like because I, I look at my I, when I look back like you know those bumper stickers that say not all those that wander are lost I would get angry when I would see that because I'm like I'm lost <laughs> like I'm not wandering <laughs> like I'm lost I have no clue what's going on but now that like I'm at this place where I feel like okay I have a family like it's more settled and grounded and when I look back I feel th this this pursuit of, of working in the, in the healing arts mm -hmm. was always there, mm -hmm. always. 
and, and whether it was just sitting with somebody and, and listening to them and listening to their problems or reading all these books, like I was always reading books about Ayurveda or mm-hmm. oh, it, it was already yeah. always there. It, it's just I never thought of it like, no, this, this well, may be something, something for you. something had to click, right? Because, yeah, yeah I, I looked into a lot of that too and yeah. shamanism and Ayurveda. My grandma was the, one of the first yoga teachers oh, great. In, in my country. She would go to people's living rooms and teach yoga. She learned with the first yogi that made it to the country. But I was never into yoga. You know, yeah. like I tried yoga in my eight, 18, you know, 18, 19 years old. I'm like, that, that's not for me. You know, so I kept searching. And get, Ayurveda, no, not for me. Keep searching and searching. But then this one thing just clicks, just fills yeah. all the gaps somehow. I don't know. It's neurological, I think. It's mind, body, heart, spirit, all one. Yeah. And, and what was that? Feldenkrais. Okay. The Feldenkrais method, which is something that I keep learning. I've been learning for since 1995, and I keep learning every day. It's amazing. Yeah, I think that's the best part of it, right? Yeah. I, I love that feeling that I've no matter what you always feel like at least for i can speak for my i always feel like i'm a beginner like you yeah. always see something and that's like um, amazing or like you go with your teacher and like even with um you know kiko sensei like you see her when she teaches she's not teaching theory like you're watching her treat people so a lot of times you feel like i've seen her treat people a million times but then you start looking at even the subtle things of the way she needled mm-hmm. or the way the, even the way she palpated how much pressure and you're always, I don't know, it's always fascinating mm-hmm. to me. And just that one little technique that she did, it was like, all right, I'm going to have to work on that for like 50 years, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. but, it, but it keeps me going. Like, it, yeah. it's such a, um, I don't know, I, I love it. Yeah, I, I feel very blessed to like, and it's, it's nice that you have that. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's a combination for me. I've, I've thought about it a lot because I remember from being a child and, playing with things that then I'm doing now for work and I, I feel so blessed and grateful that I can call it work but it's really play and it's an obsession and it's a passion and it's kind of like what gives me joy and I get up in the morning and I said yes I get to do this today again yeah you know and it's for the for the people but it's yeah. also for me and then money comes as a consequence of that and that's awesome yeah I know but it's then great. it's more about oh I, I can see you emerge before my very eyes and transform and become more of who you really are because I can see that the moment you walk through my door past all the baggage and the injury and the pain and all the stories I see I swear that I can see it I can see that potential just Mm. wanting to just be free so I feel like but do you realize how fortunate you are yeah every day I give thanks for that compared to the average Joe out there who hates their job and has to go to work Mm -hmm. every day and and you know to be where you are is mm-hmm. a great place to be i'm glad you mentioned that tom because it relates to by the way who, who's the gentleman who makes the bumper stickers here in town <laughs> jay mcphillips jay we're gonna have him make you one says not all who wander are lost dot, dot, dot. <laughs> but paolo is definitely yeah, lost, definitely lost. <laughs> <laughs> We'll figure was out a cute lost. way to put a picture on it for Paolo. <laughs> Paolo was lost. But Paolo's still lost. That's right. And happily. And happily. Yeah. Or you could have it on one side of the, the bumper and then yeah. on the other side it's like, no, here I am. Except for Paolo. Yeah. <laughs> Except this guy driving this car. Except yeah. for me. Yes. He's lost as hell. Uh, yeah. Tom just, and I was thinking of it before you said that. I, to me, what you're talking about is this purpose, right? 
this idea, this possibility of us having a purpose. And what you just brought up, Tom, is what I, I wasn't thinking of in the exact same terms, but just the question of, gosh, is that something everybody can find? I, my answer is yes, I believe so. I, but I, I agree. It's a such a juicy percent. part if, of if, life that you two if, and obviously... If they I, put themselves out there, absolutely. Yeah, which is yeah. what you're both, Dan and Paolo, speaking to. And I have been a little quieter, but it's a similar kind of tale. And in general, yeah, I think that's exactly what would be most... God, that'd be great if everybody could find that. I yeah. think taking that step to trust that voice and that mm. inner knowing is for me what was, what I don't know if everybody is, is, is able to already at, at the same time. We, I think we can all do it, but yeah. when, when are you ready to trust? Well, you open that book and you're close and said, fuck this. Well, I, I know, and I, I don't think it was like, like I, what am I trying to say here? A lot, you know, the, the, like when I talked about speaking about when I met my wife or when I spoke about like looking at that book and be like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I, there's also times that I didn't follow that, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and I think, um, you know, I, I used to have this friend from Argentina and he told me about this guy that um, he, would he would tell him that he would dream about this tree, that he would always have this recurring dream about this tree. And then one day, He's driving somewhere on some country road, and he saw it. He's like, that's the tree from my dream. And he didn't stop. Did what? It, right? What? Yeah, exactly. So what, what, what I'm saying is like, I don't feel like, oh, man, you're cool because you went and you told your wife this. Or I, I think it's this, myself, I think there was no difference between that and, and the devil in the cave. Mm -hmm. I need to go see what it's going to do because I already know how my life is already. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, yeah, I, I, I just think it's that, it's that, that I need to see, I need to go f check it out. And when it comes, uh, I, I think that training of just going on your instinct and, you know, that, that happens also going kind of on another tangent. It's like how many times when I'm with, a, like, for instance, like a patient and I'm touching their pulse, I'm holding their pulse and something comes to me, like information comes to me. And before I would never say it. I would never tell them that I'm picking something up because I'm not a psychic, I'm not a medium, but I, I don't know why it's coming because it doesn't happen to everybody, but some people it'll happen. And then one day I just said, you know, this might sound weird, but, and then I will just tell them. And for some reason when I did that, it felt liberating for me and it made a lot of sense for these people. And then now, it, like even happened the other day, I was walking down the street and someone said, hey, do you remember when you were holding my daughter's pulse and you said this? Well, guess what? And she was so happy and so thankful. And I don't even remember what I said. I don't even remember that day, you know, whatever happened. But I feel that, that action that of getting out of the intellectual mind and just letting, letting life flow. Mm -hmm. And I think those moments, that's what it is. It's like life is saying, it's knocking, but like you got to do something here, and if you don't, it's okay too. I don't, I, I don't know if there's a wrong or right answer because I know a lot of people. I mean, especially growing up in an immigrant family, most immigrants are not doing what they wanted to do in life. They're well, just to working. Tom's point, but you yeah. use the word luck, Tom, and I would make a distinction. There's luck and the ability to just be in a fortunate place, but there's also the will and the cultivating the ability to yeah yeah that's what i'm saying i think it's two different things but i also think if you're not in that place i feel like trying to cultivate 
that aspect, but also trying to cultivate just being at peace with wherever you're at. And I, I, what I find is when things started to change for me in my life is when I, not when I tried to fight against it, when I was like, this is just my life. Like, I came to a point like, I'm just going to be single. I kind of feel like I'm the black sheep of the family. You know what I mean? And, and that's it. You just accept it. And then it starts to change. Mm-hmm. You know, w- once I accepted it, it started, it started to change. And I find that also in a, many realms of life, even with a lot of patients, when they just accept this is what's going on with them, mm-hmm. then they can start changing. But if they keep fighting of what's going on, you know, the, you're fighting all the time. Mm-hmm. Something gets tired. Resistance. Yeah, resistance. Yeah. So. And again, I'm just going off my own experience. I'm but, always... But getting back to your point earlier yeah. in regards to saying whatever you said to this person's son or daughter, was whatever that was that you felt that you had to say was right. coming through you. Yes, I can't, I can't tell if it's coming through me from the outside or if it's coming through me from the inside. It's only sometimes I can make that distinction, but usually it's just like, I, I, I don't know how to, I can't, I can't explain it. I don't know it. how to explain it. It happens yeah. to me too, and it happened more, this, I would say, since we're here because I'm, I'm learning how to accept it. I, I would fight it before myself because I'm like, I'm not a medium, I'm not a psychic, I don't want to hear things. But the moment that I said, okay, if I'm hearing this, and I'm hearing it in some sort of, um, um, it's like a thought, but it's not my thought, because I didn't know this person um, enough to, to think that for myself. So I don't know. I think we are tuning into them. Um, my, I know my nervous system is tuning into their nervous system for the kind of work that I do. And I'm practicing a lot of getting out of the way and putting my intentions aside and just being of service. So then if I get a thought or a feeling or something that I've noticed that it needs to be said, and if I resist saying it, I feel like it's not serving them or me. So when I say it in the same way, like kind of like saying, sorry, look, I'm sorry. If this is helpful, just consider that. Or what if it's a question sometimes and it's helpful. Yeah. Many, like 90% of the times it's helpful. Um, so I think it's part of that tuning into them. Yeah. And maybe something that they are feeling goes, maybe that they're, I don't know, people have different experiences. They, yeah. relive, they relive past, they remember things they forgot, and through their body work, they emerge. Like, oh, memories of this thing that happened to me when I was 14. So we don't really know what's going on. Yeah. But, um, Paolo, maybe you can clarify something for me. Yes. Explain the difference between coming from the inside or the outside. Or for us, not for me. Um, so, uh, okay. So, if I'm talking about like when when I'm in clinic, I'm not trying to. So, when sometimes, or like even the meditation class, right? So sometimes I'll just see something like an image pop up in my head, and it's so. Sometimes it's very. The way it comes on, it's like you got to see if it's coming from my mind or somewhere else, right? Because your mind is always playing a lot of things. Um, well, you mentioned it in the context of that breeze. The distinction, you know, right, when so, you made it, the distinction right, was so, the so, Right, so the, 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 I'm going to get to that. So sometimes I feel like it's like that. Like I can see that it came from here. You know? and, and when that happens, I feel like it's the same thing, just like what Diana was saying about um, you're tuning into somebody. And I think that's all it is. It's like you're, you're, 
even so, like some people, I already know it's going to happen. Just like how she said, like they walk in the door and I already know I'm going to help this person on that, that level of being because there's something already resonating. And then I'll tell you the truth. Sometimes there's people that I wish, I wish I can help them in that way, but it just doesn't come, right? For whatever reason, whether they're resistant or they don't have those type of beliefs or whatever it is, it just doesn't come. But usually when it happens like that, it's coming from, um, like it's, it, again, I'm just going from my own experience. It feels like it's coming from within. But there, there are times um, where it feels like how you said that breeze, where it's, it feels like it's coming from the outside. And one time, like this happened, I was working, <laughs> I was working with a lady, um, and as I'm just doing whatever I'm doing, I felt like something just go, <sighs> and I walked, I started walking like an old person, like this, I walked to her knee and I kissed her knee. And <sighs> it's gone. And now I'm sitting there, standing there like an idiot, going, um, like how do you explain why I just kissed this person's knee? And the thing is, is that I didn't, ha I didn't have to feel like an idiot because for it to happen, it would already be okay. You understand what I'm saying? Because as soon as it happened, the lady started crying. That was my mother. That was my mother that came through. I don't, actually, I don't know. I don't think she was crying. I'm sorry. But she got very happy saying that was my mother that came through. And my thing is, like, whether that was her mother or not, I, I don't know. All I, can, all I know is the experience that I had, and, and I let it happen. So when I say that, that, that feeling felt like it came from outside. It didn't come from within me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it was Tom's question. I'm oh. not sure I have the same question. <laughs> oh. yeah. But I'm imagining you're asking for a hypothetical listener. Yes. Right? Yeah, and I appreciate that in particular because I'm always in this context thinking of the listeners, and in general except for when I'm like deep in the moment with a, within a session, which sometimes is one of the most mystical moments, so to speak. I'm thinking macro. And in this context, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's not the same question, Tom, but I'm thinking about what, if I were a listener right now, one, hypoth one possibility I imagine, something somebody could be wondering is, how do I connect with that it, this nebulous, uh, mystical, ineffable it that we're speaking to, which I tried to put that word purpose to it, um, but that awareness of self, and it's almost like you're trying to get at, Tom, a possible methodology, like pick out a methodology that we can um, shed some light on here, which is my, you know, we've got potentially four different or maybe five different directions we can go and conversations we could be having, but that's what I'm perceiving as a possible methodology that we're pointing out. <laughs> well, that's, I think we're talking about two different things. One it would be the, the intuition and how to cultivate that. And I think it has to do with practice. And like everything, it, you won't always get it right. For me, it depends on where, where is it coming from. Is it a whisper or is it a slam on the face? Because sometimes it's a whisper. And it's very subtle. It's hard to catch. Sometimes it's a bam on my face and I can't ignore it. You know, so it, it doesn't always come the same way. It doesn't always come in the same loudness. It doesn't always come from the same source. But if I don't follow, it's almost like a fainted signal that it goes away. And when I follow, even though I don't get it right 100%, it strengthens. Because in that following, I'm 
liberating myself of the resistance and in the fighting and the doubting and am I crazy? Does it mean then this and that? You know, I just follow. It's like a, like a leaf, you know, floating in the air. I just follow. I look at it. I let it fall. It's okay. I don't need to grab it. But if that's too poetic and not helpful enough, anything that regarding the purpose, anything that um, becomes an obsession, anything that you can't stop thinking about, anything that you feel you're good at, you do it as for play. You would do it if no one paid you for. You would do it just because it makes you happy. You can't stop doing it. I would look there, you know. I, I'm not saying that's your purpose in life, but I'm saying the opposite. So, you know, like what I love about Anthony de Mello is he says, you can't define love. You can say what love is not. You can't define truth. You can say that's not true, right? So what is not purpose is what you do when it feels like a chore, what you use a drag that ma makes you miserable. You wouldn't do it if they pay you a million dollars. You know, you know, we know that that's not it, right? So I think moving away from there, it's a good way of finding. Good barometer, yeah. yeah. Maybe, it's for a great me. Barometer. Yeah. And actually, I think something that you said that, that made a really good point, Colin, was um, when you were saying that, like, you, you don't know and you don't try to, like, you just try to keep it simple. I feel like that, that, that no unknowingness is so important because once we start thinking that we know, I feel like you, you lose something, right? Like, because then you got, you're, like, underneath this umbrella of knowing all this stuff and then you miss the whole sky mm. of unknowingness. So it, there, there's this thing I, I feel I, more and more, and that's why I'll say after, uh, you'll hear me a lot when I speak, that I'm always like, yeah, I don't, I don't know, or I guess, or I, because, <laughs> you, you know what, who that. knows? <laughs> yeah, and I, and I do that. Um, a lot of times I do it, one, it may be a little bit out of an insecurity. I don't know, but I think, and I just did it again. <laughs> but a lot of it is because we can have the same conversation next year, and it will probably be a different conversation, mm -hmm. right? Because everything is just flowing. Mm -hmm. And, and th there's something that I love about um, the privilege about being with little kids, uh, with Isa and his buddies and this and that, is that they just do things. And it doesn't really matter if it turns out to be right or, or what. Issa wants to build something. So he'll get like boxes and stuff, he'll make something. He tried to make a ship. He thought that's the way it should go, but it doesn't look like a ship. And then he just goes on to the next thing. So it doesn't really matter. The feeling that came out of him was this is what I'm gonna do. And then he's on to the next thing. He's not worrying about what he just did. He's already on, you know, he just keeps on moving. Life keeps on, on moving. And I feel like, when I talk about like intuition or whatever, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I, I use the example of kissing that lady's knee because it, it's a very um, defined way of using it, right? But in, in reality, I didn't, when I was telling you before growing up that I loved all this stuff about healing and I never thought that I would be doing it. So maybe I'm not as intuitive as, <laughs> as I thought I was, right, in the beginning. But if we're just moving, <laughs> if we're just moving through life, and what, what got me to, to, I feel what, what got me to hear that feel of this is what you're supposed to be doing. Or when I met Layla, like, no, this is the woman that you need to be with. It's because I, I gave up. Like, I gave up, like, I, I don't even know what to do anymore. Like, this is it. This is my life and that's it. And I think when I, when we, that feeling of just relaxing, of just like, this is where I'm at. 
then things can actually move. There's no more blocks. Things are, are just moving, just like a, a, like a little kid. Like they just move on, not wondering if what they did was a good job or whatever. They just keep moving on, you know? And you know, yesterday, yesterday Issa made me a comic book that was stapled together on both sides. I, I couldn't read it. I mean, I couldn't, right? It was just like stapled. But he was just like, I made it for you. Like, that's it. Like, he's done. He didn't want to hear about it, why it doesn't open. He made it and he's done. He's on to the next thing. And, and I, I find that, um, I don't know, I feel like in my voyage in life, I, I, uh, thus far, I was always trying to, I, I think there was this part of me that wants to be something. But now, as I get older, I feel like, yeah, we need, we, need, we, need, uh, we need knowledge, right? Because knowledge is going to make you a better practitioner and make myself a better practitioner and better at what we do, a better uh, musician, everything. But at the same time... Conspiracy theorist. But, yeah. Not me. But, but at the same time, I feel like... Um, you know, and I'm, trying, it's, I'm having a hard time saying what I want to say, but you're doing great. You know, if, if your kid comes to you and they draw you a picture and it's you and them smiling like this and it, it looks like stick figures, right? And then some really great painter shows you this beautiful painting. Which one did you get more feeling from? The one that has all the skill or the little kid that just drew that My thing? My child, 100%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why? Because there's, there's life in it. Mm -hmm. and, and as I'm growing, you know, Someone said to me, very wise, said to me one day, there were butterflies on the, the bushes right by Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And they said, if you look at it from the point of view of science, you will see the art of pollination happening in front of your eyes. If you look at it as someone just observing the beauty of life, you're going to see the art of pollination. But if you look at it through the eyes of life itself, if you look at it through the eyes of the Most High, that's what the word that they used was from the Most High. You will be the art of pollination. Just go and pollinate. And when they said that, it, it felt like my heart was whew, like that. I don't even know if I truly understand what it means. But I do know that I understood between the words. Mm. And that's why I feel as I get older, I'm more curious about what's going on between the words than the actual words themselves. And... You know, Tom can be a testimony to my meditation class that I'm always going further and further away from technique because I love technique and it sucks for the people that are trying to begin, but there's a million meditation classes mm -hmm. around here that you can go to. I don't care. I want you to connect. I want you to connect to whatever it is. We don't have to use the word God if people have too much of a, a you know, a baggage on the word. Call it something else, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. But I feel like that's what uh, um, we need to get to. If I had one thing that I'm trying to pass along, is just that, you know. I mean, go on, look at Rumi is the, he's like the top poet in America, this like Muslim guy that lived like how many, you know, mm -hmm. thousands, of thousands of years ago. Yeah. But he's, why? Because all he was doing was, was writing from that place. Mm -hmm. And it touches right. people. But the fact that it touches people, it means that people are not strangers to that place. Mm -hmm. Get him mm. on the podcast. Oh, that would be fantastic. Please let yeah. me know. And no guy. Yeah, I well, think that's important. And if you can get people to get that, no matter what illness they come into our offices with, if they can find that place, they're okay. You know? Right. Yeah, Rumi, uh, we keep a book. Actually, somebody just took it out of our quote-unquote library. I mean, it is a real library. We just declared It is that. a community library. Um, somebody just, we keep Rumi at the front table for that exact reason. 
and you just hit back with offices and you know in our culture what the work we do sometimes categorizes body work right acupuncture photographs whatever else and it's a shortcut word it's exactly not, it's a shortcut. Mean, well yeah but i want to try to get at the knowing thing that paolo highlighted a moment ago and i it got me thinking when you were talking about there's yeah there's like two obvious ways we can get ourselves into trouble and actually relates to the conversations you were having with people who were like learning about the experience that you were having like oh i know i'm having it so mm. i think there are so many ways that we can get ourselves into trouble trouble being like confusion or excessive suffering and one of them to me would be thinking we know it all yeah. and the other one would be the opposite of that like getting so lost in the mystery or so lost too lost in a kind of detrimental way and i think it's i mean the body work part if we were to spin that in a nice way and like it it's what i've noticed a lot of the time is just getting our heads on straight just getting our heads connected to our bodies in the way they really are yeah and reveling in that sort of middle way where you're not needing to know and you're not lost in the unknown you're accepting of the sort of wordless middle way and you don't have to get caught up in putting too many words to it or mm -hmm. anything other than just experiencing it. Yeah. Right. Embodying it. Embodying it. Yeah. Yeah, there's an understanding beyond words that is what I'm, I'm after. Right. The miss, well, yeah, one of the books mm -hmm. in the library, one of my favorites, uh, uh, Varieties of Religious, Religious Experience. There's a chapter on mysticism and I think we've talked about this a lot. One of the, there are four qualities doesn't talk about tears, but we'll call that the fifth one. Um, ineffability is the key one. All mm -hmm. the mystics throughout history speak to the fact that, yeah, basically, though, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. There's no words for it. There's no words for God. Yeah. Like Rumi. There's, it's just poetry, essentially, in the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, it, that's it, the difficulty about having these conversations. I love these conversations we get to have every week, but it's also... It seems well, this that it's, it, well, it, yeah, and it also feels like every week we're trying to nail something down <laughs> that is unnailable, yeah. and we end up always ca calling it connection, or but you I, know, we come to these words that are but like. But I feel so fed by they're that. great, and they're I great. like imagining the listener feeling more like, able to accept mm -hmm. his or her own whoever, whatever. Try to be politically correct there. Um, own sense of wonder the all not and and maybe realizing oh i don't have to know or that thing i mm -hmm. think i know or need to know uh doesn't have to be mm -hmm. it's not as important mm -hmm. yeah yeah so we get a rest from needing to be and be for others also be be i think the greatest leap for me when i took it when i went into learning felling grace was that no one knew what it was. Not, a lot of people still don't know what it is, right? So you go into something that has no, very little validation from outside. And then, then you know, you're, you realize, oh, I'm not doing it for others. I'm really doing it for me. Because the way it makes me feel when I'm doing it and learning it. So, so much of what we have to do all day is for others even if it's in our own minds right and i'm i'm, I'm thinking because I, I i'm aware of what you're thinking about what i'm saying or thinking so then it all becomes this outward pleasing and and it's exhausting but we do know that the one of the few things that i do feel 
like I was saying earlier, I don't know so little that I do know, but we do, I feel confident saying, know what feels good. Mm -hmm. What is that embodying? What is that embodiment that we want to be able to maintain and reconnect with and remember? Um, I feel confident saying we have a a good enough sense of that. We have to, otherwise we're totally Mm -hmm. faking it. No, it's true. That's why I always say I just draw from my own experience. It might not be the same for someone else, but I know what feels good for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's interesting. What we, I might be going off topic here, but I remember when I first started in acupuncture. I and I still do. I love treating uh, mental health. It's just something I, I feel drawn to. You know, and I think because I had a lot of anxiety growing up and stuff like that. And maybe that's the reason. It's one of the reasons why I got into meditation in the first place. You know, besides like my you know having so many questions about the universe which had its own uh, anxiety but when I came in and then you start doing like sports medicine like someone coming in with a sprained ankle uh, you start to see like that's suffering too mm-hmm. you know and we look at it, it's like it's just an ankle but you know what yeah you try to walk all day like on a crotch or, or, or something like Damaging that yeah mental. so I, so as I started uh, you know doing this I started to realize well, even physical suffering affects the spirit, and then, then, and it affects the mind. And then something that's affecting the mind affects the body. And then, you know, it's this whole thing. There's like many aspects to it. So now, I, I, what I love is, you, you you start to see what what's true for you, and what's true. What I found is, there's suffering, and it doesn't matter what it is. So if someone comes into your office and they have cancer, or they come in and they just have lower back pain it's suffering either way and it, I, I don't feel one goes over the other one you know because tell you the truth sometimes I have cancer patients that come in they're actually in a better place than the one with the lower back pain they have a different story about their mm-hmm. illness and this and that and they leave and they're, they come in they're happy they, you know, and then some people they don't have hardly any problem at all and they just have so much suffering inside right, right? and, and I, I, you know, it's how do, how do we shift that? And the only way I can help someone shift that is from my own story. Like I, you have to, like the way that Diana, you were saying you're with someone and you kind of tune in with them, mm-hmm. right? When you tune in with them, are, am I able to like take what they're having and transcend it? Mm-hmm. How, what would I do with that? Right. And then when I do that, um, things can start to change. Yeah. If I can't, if someone comes in and like, I don't know, I don't, don't want to deal with that. How am I going to help that person? Right. right? So I and I, I think I did go up top topic. Um, <laughs> but uh, with that, what, yeah, I was trying. I had a point I had to make with that. Going back to what you were saying. Damn. You didn't go off topic. You're on. You're right on topic. But well, could the point have had something to do with? Well, actually, I don't want to tell you what I think it could have been. We'll see if it comes back. Yeah, we'll see if it comes back. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was one thing that I wanted to say in regards to this, this conversation. Um, and it's how hard we are on ourselves. Yeah. Can speak and that. we don't have to be. And it's almost enlightening to realize that it's okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have perfect speech. You don't have to have perfect appearance. 
you don't have to have the perfect job. You don't have to, it's just realizing that you are being so hard on yourself and it's not necessary and how um, enlightening that is. And um, I'm sure you can relate this to your patients as well in regards to them coming in with all sorts of stuff, stress, and it's really not necessary. But to get people to realize that is really, it's difficult. Yeah. But it is unnecessary. Amen to that. I remember Amy Ward Brimmer, she mentioned that phrase, which I love, that destination addiction. Remember she said mm -hmm. that? Is that? And it's what Koru is essentially about in a, and as a larger metaphor um, for growth. Just how can we in all respects, even this purpose concept in, in general, just recognize that there's no real ending. And if we can embrace that, because I think that's actually part of the challenge for a lot of us in our, I know we, we probably don't have a lot of time, so we're not gonna go on a larger sociological bend here. We'll have to come back to the weather soon. Um, <laughs> the part of the challenge is, and in terms of keeping our heads and connecting our whole selves is thinking we have to get to that ending, that perfection, that destination. Somehow, I'm personally very interested in how we can make it more exciting as a culture and as a species to embrace just this dance and this growth and this journey. And somehow there's a middle way I think we have to be able to find because obviously the other end of that is you just lie there and you probably eventually just die. So we can't go that far, there's gotta be that middle way. But from a purely just analytical standpoint, we're excessively focused on that perfection and ending and getting it all set up the right way. And so yeah, if we can as relatively more uh, self-aware people embody that middle way, that's personally what I strive for. And it's tough because yeah, it's, can, you can be, I can be hard on myself about whether I'm doing that well enough. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's a fucking I know. catch twenty two right exactly. there. Exactly. I'm not fucking walking the yeah. middle path. There but it's well. okay. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> it's okay. Ah, strive for the yeah. 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 Sure, it is, and it takes somebody. Just actually, our colleague Alex from New York Seven. Um, it's. We can get far enough, I think, on our own, reminding ourselves that the relationship we have with ourselves, but. Personally, why I keep making that hand gesture, and I'm not Italian, by the way, so it's not just an Italian thing, uh, to a broader sort of social context. I imagine it would be so much easier, and I'm all about ease in a progressive kind of way, in the Feldenkraisy kind of way. It'd be so much easier to remember how to walk that path if we were supporting each other more in that regard. That's, that's the ideal community. That's the potential to me. That's what I personally get most excited about. Because it's not easy on your own, no matter how much you work on it. The fact that you have to work on it is kind of unwelcome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think about that actually a lot. You know, one of the things I, when I, the thing, one of the things I liked about living in Italy was economically it was horrible. 
right? So you, I was working two jobs, you're making hardly any money. After you pay your rent and everything else, you got, you have, I, I got so used to having no money in my pockets, but I was always happy. And everyone was always just hanging out. And I like that you could be hanging out in a piazza, having a beer with like, you know, other 20 something year old guys. And they're all talking about what they made for dinner. And, and, and I, there was something very beautiful about that because over here, at least for myself, I feel like it's hard to get people to go out. Like no, I feel no one's doing nothing. Like a lot of people were watching TV, at, at least for my, my, the experience that I had there. It's like no one was doing that. And if you did watch TV, like there was like a show, it would be like a party, like everyone Together. hanging out watching a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was a sense of togetherness all the time, all the mm-hmm. time. And when I moved back, it was something very hard for me to get used to of being that thing of like sitting home by myself watching TV or because over there was always something. Like I would come home from work and there would be a party at my house. And, you know, I mean, obviously now I'm 40. It's different when you're 20 and you're living on your own. So there was a different dynamic. But I do think there was something um, different. And, and yeah, I, I don't know. And I think there, I think it was like that, not because, because they were like that just culturally. I think it was also like that because they were like that economically. Like, they didn't have nothing. So what they did, what they have, they really, really enjoy it. You know, like over here, we, we make the sausage every year. We make the sausage, and that's it. We hang it up. Over there, it's like, it's like a party. You know, like everyone's making it. Everyone's like, you know, they're, I don't know. It's just different. There's a different feel to me. You know, like they, they're very happy about what they have. But over, over here, I think everything is so dis- quickly disposable that we don't cherish a, a, a lot of these things. And I feel like we don't have all these, um, yeah, these cultures. And, and actually, I know, again, on a tangent, something I think about sometimes is we don't have any stepping stones or, any, or milestones, I'm sorry, milestones. Like, like you talk about like your confirmation. Mm. Right, like your confirmation scene is fancy. You mean like a coming of age? Yeah, like for myself, like when I got my communion, that I got up and I can get the Eucharist and this and that. I, to me, I was like, oh man, this is like a big deal. You know what I mean? And then I remember getting my confirmation that the Holy Spirit's gonna come, and the whole time I'm like, I don't, I didn't feel anything. Like what's going on? <laughs> yeah. But to me, it was like that's it. Like I graduated. I'm like this full fledged something. But uh, yeah, and I think about that for my son because I'm not growing up, growing, you know, he's not being raised in that faith. So I feel like what milestones will he have? Because, you know, like Jewish people that have the bar mitzvah, like I feel like mm-hmm. there's these milestones that people hit. And I think as a culture, it's, a, it's important, you know, that we have these things. And I feel like, and I don't know if it's because we have so many, you know, we're like a bunch of people that come from somewhere else and we got thrown all together. I don't know. I don't know the reason. It, Tom is shaking his it's head. G5, Tom. 5G. <laughs> yeah, what, what do you think? Hang on, hang on. Before <laughs> well, Ritual, Joe. I you said ritual. ritual. Yeah, I think exactly. There's like a lack of ritual. Yeah, yeah. Charles Eisenstein is one of my current favorite thinkers right now, and we don't need to reference him, obviously. But regardless, yeah, we need new ritual, I think, as far as the, yeah. the cultural shift is going to take place. Yeah, like as, as I get older, I, I feel like... Um, we're, la- we're all, I think, lapsed Catholics as a Really? Term, right? Are you, Tom? No. Or at least the four of us. And you <laughs> probably as a Paolo, and I think you as well. We've taken what, you know, even just talking about St. Francis with the, the kind of respect we are, sort of. Like we 
taken what makes sense, but we're not obviously engaged in those rituals. None of us are going to put our kids through baptism in the uh, right. Like, yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not, gonna, uh, but I'm, we do I'm not that attached to it. Yeah, and you know, sometimes like I'll go into a mass a little bit or something like that, and it's interesting because now that I have no attachment to it at all, I actually enjoy it. I enjoy the mass because like you feel like you're seeing it from a, a different point of view. Like I like when they're doing the whole thing of the. Um, Oh, I thought you were like trying to tell me it's like time is up. <laughs> um, yeah, like when you, see, when you see them like, you know, doing the whole thing at the altar, turning the water and the wine and they're saying all this, you, you start to feel like, oh, there's a reason why they're doing it. Reverence. Yeah, and something that Anthony DeMello talks about a lot, he talks about, there's a story that he says that he goes, there was a man that invented fire, right? So he's a good guy and he just starts traveling around, going to these different tribes, and he teaches mm -hmm. them how to make fire. And he teaches fair. them, and then he leaves. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, correct me if I mess up the story. <laughs> so what, what do people do? They start, like, worshiping the man that made fire. So they would make a drawing of the guy, put a little flint on there to give praise to the guy that made the fire. And then the local priest, they got pissed off. They're, like, they're starting to look at this guy more than whatever. So they have him killed. So what they do, when they have him killed, it makes him even more popular. So all these things are being erected in his honor with the flint and everything. So all these rituals start to happen, but there's no fire. And, and I feel one of the reasons why a lot of people are falling out of religion, this is my own self-speaking, is I feel like we've lost that fire. We've lost it. And what I, what I see is like with, um, yeah, I see that we need more. We, we need it in a new way. It needs to be resurrected in, in, in a different way. I'm not talking about Catholicism. I'm, I'm talking about a way of giving honor to life. Mm -hmm. You know, when I say life, I mean God or I don't know, whatever you want to call it, to yeah. the universe, especially with the way that we see the world now because of science and this and that. I don't know I, about for anyone else, but I feel like all these discoveries that they're making, all these things, it made me feel like even more opened like the mystery is even more mysterious and i i fall in love with that mystery like that mystery is so oh, it's, it's like rich and you just want to mm. rub your face in it you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth like it, 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 it's so amazing and i feel like with all these things um we can do it in a different way you know we can we don't need to do these old rituals that are from times past mm. no it's, maybe it's time to do something different I feel we're doing some of those right here, actually. No. Rites of passage or rituals or ceremonies or however you want to call it. I mean, I, just putting the name on it feels wrong, you know? Yeah. I think that it's more about the elements that make it possible. And for me, those are connectedness. So being more than just me. And if it's just me tuning into something bigger than me. But especially when we are together with more people, uh, when there's an element of, of silence, it feels especially powerful. Um, and when we connect to s certain elements, like our breath, the water, you know, there was a candle lighting today. And I always come to these recordings from the class that we teach, um, exploring performance training, and sauna and ice baths. And today we decided to do it in the dark oh, and beautiful. in silence. Mm. And wow, I think it was the, the most powerful for all of us. There was a little candle there so we could see something. 
But even the sound of the water trickling on the heater, I mean, it's something that we do all the time, right? You, come, you submerge yourself in sub 30 degree water, it's really cold, and then you go into a very hot sauna, and then it's, you wanna pump the heat up because you feel so, so cold. So you just dump water in this heater and you just want the heat up. And there was something about being in silence and being in the dark that made the trickle of the water be so precious. And I was so grateful for the water and so grateful for the heat and so grateful for the company and the silence and the, the quiet of the little corner in, in our busy town. So um, moments like those provide me a lot of rest and a lot of slowing down time. So when I have some of the, that, I think it's a ritual that is good enough for us to be together, to be silent for more part of the time and, and resting together. Well, my, my opinion in regards to what's happening in regards to us and um, religion and the church is that we're making a transition into a new paradigm, uh, the age of Aquarius. Uh, I think people's uh, consciousness is being raised and I think what's happening is people are finding that they can have a direct connection with the God or their higher spirit or whatever you want to call it, the higher self, they can have direct connection rather than going through the church to make that connection. Or another person. Or another person, mm. sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when you're saying that, I was thinking of, remember when Jesus is like, what is he telling, like the Pharisee or you or whatever? And he was like, you guys have the key, but you don't let anybody through the door, you know? Yeah. yeah, that was his version of saying, fuck this, I'm doing acupuncture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and when, when you were saying before that you allow... I just compared you to Jesus for that. <laughs> right, you allow them to find that space within. I'm blushing, by the way. You can't see it. <laughs> Local Jesus. What, what's, I'm sorry, Dan? Well, that you, w with, this, with this space you, you cr can create for people, they find that on their own. Yeah. And they find that the little space... Like we have meditation here. I never wanted to call it meditation class. For me, it's meditation space. It's yeah. just hold the space so we can find that through whatever technique you want. Find that moment where you can just breathe and rest. Yeah, and, that, and that's what the, that's what the meditation uh, class that I have. I even say that like it's you go on the website. It says meditation class, class or group. I don't even know, but really it's the same ritual that we've been doing forever. Mm -hmm. We show up. I'll talk, and I, the only reason I start, I'm the one that speak, begins speaking is just because I'm the one that kind of put it together, but it doesn't even have to be me. Like, everyone, it's an open platform. If anyone, it's more just like, kind of like, you start to, when you start to speak, you already start to see the rhythm and the energy that's going to be of the night, mm -hmm. you know? And, and then we sit down. Sometimes I'll guide it just so to get people to relax their bodies. And then from there, just do what you got to do, you know? Yeah. And... I know some people, they're craving that technique. They're craving it. And I always say, if you want it, I'll, we could do that on a, another time or just go somewhere else. Um, I don't know. I, I, I've come into this place. I'm coming to, again, where I'm at now is that if you're born and you're breathing, that means you exist. 
So no matter what I tell you, whether you see it or you don't or anything, you're already connected to this thing mm -hmm. that we call life, you know? What technique am I gonna tell you? <laughs> like, what am I gonna show you? You already are, yeah. right? I don't know, I, I, sometimes I just, I wish I can just like, uh, I wish someone was able to do that to me, you know, growing up. Like, what are you brooding about all the time? You're already okay. Mm -hmm. Like how Tom says, you're already okay. But we, we get stuck in these stories about our, our, our lives, or at least for myself, like being stuck in this story that uh, I'm not good enough, you know, I don't know what I'm doing with myself, you know, whatever it is. And now, like, and if there is one thing that I've learned from technique is that as hard as I tried, my mind never stops. But what I learned is, fuck them. Yeah. Just like, leave, yeah, just leave it alone, mm -hmm. you know. And I, 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 I wish, guys, I wish I can remember. It was an NPR. It was on NPR. I was driving somewhere. I think I was driving to school actually. And it was a story. It was a book about this story about this guy. He was like 12 years old. He got some type of illness. I don't remember what it was. But he basically was like a vegetable. So he was there. He was totally conscious, but he he couldn't even like blink his eyelid, right? So every morning, his parents uh, would bring him to a place, like a home, where he would stay um, in this facility. They would go to work, and they would bring him home, and the guy couldn't move, but he was there. And, he, and they were saying, like, he would uh, take him, and they would put him in front of Barney every day. And just for that alone, I feel like it's torturous. Imagine you're there every day for, like, years, and you're watching, like, reruns of Barney. I don't like already that's enough like, and, and something that he said like and he was saying like some of the nurses would do messed up things to him and this and that one time his mom was crying saying I wish he would just die which I understand like, like and he couldn't even say nothing you know but something that he said that it, 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 when he said Did it he like, I actually recovered is what you oh yeah I, I, got, I, I gotta find it out please try to research and find it so he, he, um, he said that I, the thing that affected me the most was I couldn't kill myself even if I wanted to. Like not, he had no power at all. Mm -hmm. And then what he realized was, who is this that wants to kill myself? You know, it's almost like the Eckhart Tolle experience, right? And he started to see that it was his thoughts that was the worst out of all of it. So he just learned to stop listening to his thoughts. Mm -hmm. And you know what's interesting? Once he started mastering that, he came out of it. Like he, shit. Yeah. It, it, like I was crying, talking about <laughs> tears. Yeah, we got to gift I'm, of I'm tears. getting free tears. I'm yeah, just like, oh yeah that, was like, that was like Christmas tears right there. I was so that like, was what? You said it was like 15 years ago? NPR, you're driving to Montclair to school. No, uh, yeah, but I, I, it wasn't that long ago. Because okay. I still go there regularly oh, for classes. Oh, okay. Recently. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta yeah try it. to find it. It was awesome. And I was like, well, I got to get the book. Yeah. yeah. Well, we kind of started the conversation. I do think we have to wrap up, right? Yeah. We kind of started talking indirectly about identity. Like, you're not Italian. We're not, we're not even Bucks Countyans. We're not even Doylestownians, despite how much we love it. I know. <laughs> I mean, maybe we're Doyle's. Speak for No, just yeah, kidding. Yeah. All right, fine. I'm a right. upper black Eddie and not yeah. as good. Oh, yeah. I'm just a human, yeah, man. Joe, just, you're not I'm here. Or you star, or what is, like, I am, right? And that's right. as simple as it can get if you have to put it to words. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, we gotta yeah. find that story. Yeah, you know, again, That's I'm not saying. Terrifying and beautiful. Too. I know. It's it, a it, nightmare. And I know. Mama, craziness. <laughs> but, you know, again, going back to the thing about being like Doolstown or Italian or whatever, when I say, like, not to. Or acupuncture. Yeah, all of it. Right. But yeah, because something can always change, right? Something might change. What if my wife one day is like, you know what? I wanna go back to Iran. I'm like, all right, guys, I'm going to Iran. Am I Iranian now? You know, what, what am I? But at the same time, it doesn't mean that as I'm having this experience, you know, I'm having an experience as a male in this body that, that has this past, this genealogy that's making me up. It doesn't mean I, I shouldn't enjoy it either. You know, it's just that I don't want to be attached to it mm -hmm. because it can change right away. Just the way it changed when I thought it was Italian and then I went to Italy and I realized I'm not really as Italian as I thought I was, mm -hmm. right? And, and it's the same thing, right? Like, and then, you know, I thought I was growing up. I thought like, oh, I knew everything about landscaping. I don't know anything about landscaping. I know how to do the work, mm -hmm. but I'm not a landscaper. You know, I'm, now I'm an acupuncturist and I love and this and that, but who knows? Maybe one day I get called to do something else. Who knows? And, and I, I hope not because I love doing what I do, but the reason why I say who knows is because I don't want to, I never want to block off that door that where life came in from the first place, mm -hmm. you know? And I feel like that, that door of, like you said, of that unknowingness, that, that I don't knowness, that has to be vast. And, I, and we, have to have, we have to make sure that that window that connects it is always open because whatever comes out of it, I don't want to block it because it knows better than I do. I know for myself, anything that I ever did that I thought I was supposed to do in life, it never really worked out for me. But all the things that were like that, that it just came and I went with it, was always the best thing I, I did. It didn't mean I didn't have to work. Like I still had to work to go to school. I had to work to try to provide for Leila and I as I was going through that, like all these things. And even now I continue to study and I continue, there's work involved, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, the catalyst is this is some coming from something different. What the proof's in the pudding, right? You're not ever at the ending. It's always you gotta always remain open to the unknown, no matter what point you're at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's not like something changed when no. you're 50 or whatever. No, no, and and you wake up every day, um, yeah. excited to know that you have no idea what's going to happen today. Like, why am I here? Ideally, you're excited. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and again, it's a great place to be. Yeah, definitely a great place to be. Just open your heart and go with it. Yes. And don't be hard on yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. Amen to that. Yeah. I know I got to go. What about you all? You want to hang out? I can just, I'll pause. You can keep talking. <laughs> How many of us are going to beat ourselves up after we listen to him? Like, oh, my voice is like crap. <laughs> oh, I gave up on that. I hate, I, yeah. I sound like what a, did I just say? I sound like it's weird. <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, Hello, up. are you in there? Well, yeah. I'll make sure I listen to the whole thing to hear you say that part again. Right. <laughs> I think I sound so, like, nerdy. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, no, none of us are. Are you going to? What's that? Beat up yourself and die. No. I know I talk fast. I, like, I know. We have an accent, so it's okay. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. 
The thing I wanted to say, but it might take us into a whole other conversation, and I know you have to go, but... You have to I go, th too. The, not yet, but <laughs> the, the, the commonality between all of this we're talking about, don't be hard on yourself, and you would do it with a stranger, the connecting smile, and, and that person and you on the table, and the mother that came in. It's like, we finally, finally let this land on us, that there's no separation, yeah. that we're now different. Right. So then... I can learn from from you to speak a little slower because I come from a culture where blah, 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 and you can't even breathe as you speak. It is not yeah. healthy. So so when I remember that I'm not I'm not separate, then I can slow down and I don't need to be hard on myself because I have nothing to prove and I have so much to learn from you because you and me are one. So I just wish that I could be with that more often because I yeah. do know that, but I forget it. And if there's something I want to know, because I I rather not know a lot, but I want to know that more. You want to know that that, that, we're, that yep. there's no separation. I mm. I really want to know that meaning, know it with my heart, every time, and not only in the peaceful moments where I feel really loved. Yeah, yeah, I know and that's a difficulty, still. right? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Why don't you guys just keep talking? I can just go. No, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. But it does happen. I feel the more I know we gotta go. I can keep go, talking. <laughs> but I, I feel the more the more and more we you just keep practicing that, the more and more we do feel like that more often, right? And I feel one of the, the beauty uh, the beautiful things about the the type of practices that we do is that you're always with somebody one on one. Mm -hmm. and, and it's something that I find beautiful is that you mm -hmm. walk into a room and it's just you and this other person and this other person even if they don't tell you something their body is telling us mm -hmm. a story right and we get to be with that and how lucky it is and it's through and this is why I always find interesting is that I'm always connecting someone because of their sufferings right like it's from their sufferings that we're able to connect and I, I always find that interesting how suffering does that. Like it makes you, it brings up compassion, it brings up, thing, it, it brings up a thing that makes you feel connected instead of separate. Because mm -hmm. as soon as people start, you know, start, you know, if, as soon as people, if someone came in, it's like, look at my posture, I'm the shit, I got my Mercedes outside, I'm doing, you know, all of a sudden they, you start to feel, you know, I think it takes, or at least it takes a very, you know, evolved practitioner or something to be like, I still love you. <laughs> you know what I mean? See you, Tom. Bye, Tom. Love you, buddy. Bye. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, yeah, yeah I know what you, mean. you know, but uh, but we get that thing. We get to see somebody in a different element. And you know, my cousin's a cop in uh, Warminster, and I remember one time we were talking and the rhetoric of what we were talking was, I kind of almost felt like, man, we're like on totally different planes, mm -hmm. you know. And I, I realized later on the drive home, I was thinking, but he sees a different reality than I do. You know, he's seeing people that are drunk, starting fights, or go walking, to, going to people's house that are being physically abused. And he's seeing a, a, a totally different part. I'm always seeing people when they're suffering and they're vulnerable and they want help. So I'm seeing a different side of, of yeah, of their reality. You know, so it's for me, no matter who I see, I. I because we see it so much, mm -hmm. no matter where I go, I can look at someone and be like, I love you and mean mm -hmm. it fully. Like, mm -hmm. I, I really love you. There's, there is no separation. But I'm sure if I was a cop, one, I probably would have had a heart attack already or probably gotten shot or something. Um, 
but you know it, it would be hard to see like you're walking up to somebody's house and you know they're beating the crap out of their wife or they're beating their animals you know whatever sure. whatever the story would be and like how do you look at them and be like hey i love you it, it's hard mm -hmm. you know I, I i remember in meditation class i asked somebody to put a picture of uh, they hated donald trump really really badly so i said why don't you put a picture on your altar and see if you can find the godliness in donald trump and because that was actually an exercise my teacher would have us do um not about donald trump like think of someone that you can't stand or something that represents evil or something and and um and she was like I ain't, i'm not doing that but and so i i can understand that's a, a much harder practice than what we have because we get to see a different side a more sensitive and I don't know, beautiful side. Like, I think about this often. Like, Assisi was this little town, right? So he gives up everything, and even to the point, like, his dad brings him to court. I know we got to go. I'll make it fast. So his dad brings him to court. And then in court, so you got to think everybody's there. It's everybody in the town. So it's like everybody he grew up with, right? And then he takes off his clothes. So now he's naked in front of everybody that he wow. grew up with, and he gives it to his dad, and he goes, I answer to a different father now, right? And everyone's laughing at him and this and that. Who knows what they were saying? Like, you imagine, like, you take off your clothes and, like, your kid right. that you went to, like, school with is, like, calling you, like, you know, making fun of your... You didn't do that? Huh? You didn't do that? Who didn't do that? You didn't do that? He's joking. Oh, no, I didn't do it. <laughs> On with, no, I want to hear the rest <laughs> of the story. <laughs> oh, anyway, so... Sorry, I, I it flew over my head. Um... Yeah, so like, and then not only that, so then he's just like homeless and he's going around, you know, basically begging for food, right? But who's he going to? He didn't leave. He's still on, in a sissy. So he's going around the people's houses that he knows. And then people were like, kids were throwing dog shit at him and stuff like that. Like, wow. you know what I mean? Like, so it's like you, you know, like everyone in Dolestown, I'm assuming. Sure. So imagine you go to the courthouse. Take off all your clothes and tell your dad, I answer to something else now. Right. Something higher. And uh, we're all there. Everybody. All the kids you went to high school with and this and that. And then you're walking down the street at Burpee Park and someone picks up a piece of dog shit and throws it at you. You're like, why is Paolo doing this to me, right? So, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I find that uh, amazing. Right. And then, like, so if he didn't have that resistance, right, right we wouldn't be talking about him here today, right? When, it, it, and think about it. Like, that town, if you ever go there, it's beautiful. It's, it's wonderful. And, and people from everywhere. When I was there, I saw Muslims, Hindus, yeah, like go people going there. Yeah, go to pilgrimage to, to honor this man. So, and everywhere you go is seeing pictures, I mean, paintings of St. Francis for sale, souvenirs of St. Clair, all these things. So a whole economy of that town is based on one guy. Right. right? And, and he, didn't do any, he didn't do anything out of intellect. Right? He, and I'm not saying nothing about, uh, and bad about being intelligent. I'm just saying that he was just following mm -hmm. something, an inner calling, or outer, I don't know. But he was following something. Mm -hmm. And not only did it change his family, it changed the generations mm -hmm. of his whole town. Right? Yeah, right? right. I, I don't know. I, I just find that amazing. But if that resistance wasn't there, there would be no story. So how do we have less extreme versions of that that are still catalyzing some sort of generative progress and shift? That's a good question. Well, that's my question. Yeah, because I don't think I'm going to help at all by taking my clothes off at Burpee. So, Joe, maybe you would, but... <laughs> maybe. Um, 
<laughs> I have nothing against taking off my clothes anywhere. I don't care sure. about the clothes. So it's really, I could do it tomorrow. I, we will go now. I don't care. But I think the little practices that we hold here, your meditation You got practice, like all the guys' attention. Right? We're like, oh, it's wow, okay. It doesn't matter. I don't joke. I'm joking. Seriously. Well. Now, and I can tell you why, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But the point is that these little practices, I think, yes, are the very generative of going against mainstream, going against the, 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 let's go home and watch TV alone and eat a bag of popcorn and then put myself to sleep on the sofa and mm. do it again tomorrow. Because we are throwing rocks there on the lake. You know, we're creating a little bit of, uh, I don't know, at least a conversation, if yeah. nothing else. So. Yeah. We get resistance. I got resistance even from my teacher on Saturday about this ice bath thing that I'm doing and putting it up against my, not my teacher, my main teacher, but somebody, my colleague, like, oh, you better be careful because that's not what you're doing. You don't, don't know. And, that's why? I'm sorry? Um, you know, just resistance, questioning about the, the ice bath uh, and the immersion in cold I'll temperatures tell you what, I have and a, things. A few of my patients have been to your ice baths and they like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. there's controversy. You know what I mean? Like, there's really, in, in, in practices that we, right. we love and, and do and we feel benefit from, there's always controversy and there's yeah. always resistance and somebody throwing dog shit in a very subtle way. Yeah. So you have to deal with that. And I'm not, I'm, right. I don't think there's ever going to be none of that. Yeah, I think that's you know? a part of life, right? Yeah. It's just a part of it. And how do you deal with it? Yeah. Maintaining that integrity to yourself. Why are you doing it? Well, I, I, again, going back to the thing about get, letting go of techniques, what I was saying earlier, I feel like after a while, I can only go on what feels true to me. And, and someone might argue, well, just because it feels true to you, it doesn't make it true. Mm -hmm. but I can only follow it until it's not true anymore, right? But I need to know for myself. It's kind of like that, that uh, going again back to that thing with the cave. You can tell me that it's not good to go in the cave or you can tell me it is good to go, whatever it is. But I, I'm a person, I need to feel for myself. It was mm -hmm. just like in school with acupuncture. I could sit there and read the book, but until I felt the, 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 what it felt like underneath my fingers, then it was like, oh, I understand. So... I can have a lot of ideas, like people, someone was just asking me yesterday, do you think that we, um, we make an agreement when we come here to earth, like our soul picks the life we're going to go into, and they were asking me these things, I'm like, I don't know, like I don't know, I like the idea of it, but I don't know, and, and I can only know what I know, I can only go from my, my own experience, right, and someone that's giving me resistance are probably having a different experience mm -hmm. than I am. Um, but I can just keep on going on my own yeah. and, and, and I'm skeptical of my own experience, mm -hmm. right? Like I'll question what I'm doing. Um, so I don't ever want to push those people away, but go, oh, you're, you're dead wrong. I want to hear what they have to say sure. because sometimes their dog shit might be for a reason, yeah. right? Like how many times growing up did my dad tell me things that I didn't want to hear? And then later on, when I had to learn it myself, I'm like, damn, he was right. Yep. You know? Yep. So who knows? You know, I'm not trying to say the guy's right about the ice bath. All I'm oh, saying is... Oh, no, but is, I welcome it. I welcome yeah. it because it makes me think. Yeah, exactly. Why do I, I... I had to actually think, and I didn't answer him. Yeah. But I just thought, and then I did it again today. Yeah. In the dark. <laughs> in the dark <laughs> and in silence, and it felt even better. Yeah. Oh, well. I got to try that. Yeah, anytime. Yeah. Okay, guys. All right. Uh, this sound is the... 
Uh, please check the show notes for more about Paolo, Koru, Real Wellness, and any links relevant to our conversation. The receptivity to these conversations has been so great so far. We really, really appreciate it. We would love for you to subscribe, share, and review Movement Matters. Share it with your friends, your family, people that you love. Please check back for more conversations on coexistence soon to come. Have a great week.